there's one thing that's the easiest, cheapest, most available thing that anyone can do for their health. Get out. We're suffering from a nature deficit disorder, and it's causing an increase in depression, anxiety, heart disease, obesity, and even a simple bladder infection. The research on the health benefits of being outside is overwhelming. Even if you're a city mouse, there are easy ways to increase your nature and improve your health. Join me now. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget, rate and review us, please, and share. It's how we spread the word. Okay, Facebook. Hi. How is everybody today? Are we ready to get back to nature? Are we ready to find our inner forest self? Um, different, different topic today. So um, we, you know, we talk a lot about, we've talked about vaccines. We've talked about hormones. We've talked about mood this, uh, lately. And today we're going to get back to nature. So thanks for joining me. I'm Sarah Heiner. And I will give you my always reminders about everything that we got going. Um, we've got a growing list of um, videos and these interviews that we've done. You can see them in Facebook in our video library, or you can actually go to YouTube where I've got hundreds and hundreds of videos that I've been doing over the years, great interviews with people like Dr. John LaPuma, um, who we're going to be talking to in just a minute. And um, subscribe to it. There's all sorts of stuff. See what you can find. Tell your friends about it. Share it would be awesome. Um, I'm doing next Thursday. I can't remember what I'm doing next Thursday, but come back next Thursday and visit with me again. Um, there will be links in the download, in the chat box as always. Um, immunity, please, please, please. The, uh, the country is opening up. Vaccines are going out there. Nobody, nobody, nobody is talking about immunity, strengthening your immune system. And our bodies know how to heal ourselves. Our bodies know how to protect ourselves. So while you socially distance, while you wear your masks, while you get your vaccines, please download. We've got a free download about immunity and strengthening your immune system. So that's really important. Um, we also have another free download about pain. I don't know about you sitting around too much, a little achy breaky. Um, so we also have strategies for reducing pain. Those are free. Share them with your friends, share them with your family, share them on your social media. Honest to God, it just, this, this is kind of my mission and passion is to help people feel better. And with that, um, if you have comments, questions about what we're talking about today, which is this thing called nature deficit disorder. It's not, it's not in the insurance, so you can't go get insurance on it, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a thing. And we're gonna talk about that and how important it is. Um, and so put comments, questions for Dr. Lapuma in the chat box and someone will send them along to me. And they reminded me next week is uh, Ray Higdon and I'm talking about fear and overcoming your fears. A lot of people, as the world is opening up, they're still scared. They're afraid to come out. There's a lot of you know, headlines today about the, 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 what did Texas and Mississippi make a mistake because how frightening is it is? And what if germs are still coming on? So how do we come overcome our fears with regard to health and with regard to the rest of our lives, what's holding us back? So that's next week. Right now, let me introduce you to Dr. John LaPuma, um, friend of Bottom Lines. We've known him for years. Hi, John, great to see you. Hey, Sarah, great to be here. All right, let me tell everybody how great you are. Um, so funny. I said, I put together the bio, you know, I always say that I have to read it all. And I said to John, do I, um, do I, is there anything that's on that needs to come off? Because it's so long. And I said, you've done so many great things. I have to share it. So here you go. Here, here's who I'm talking to today. He is a board certified internationally known doctor of internal internal medicine. He has co-founded chef MD, a Freddie award-winning health media brand promoting culinary medicine 
and he co-taught the first nutrition and cooking course at a U.S. medical school with Dr. Michael Roizen. I don't know if anyone knows how little doctors actually know about health, quality food, and nutrition, but there's a lot they don't know. And John took that actually to the medical school community to help these doctors learn how to cook and learn how to understand and appreciate good food. It was huge. Um, he's also the New York Times bestselling author of Refuel and Chef MD, Big Book of Culinary Medicine. John is also the author, co-author of Real Age Diet and Cooking the Real Age Way. And he's the founder of Plant with a Doc, a successful nature-based stress management and burnout reversal program for office workers. Anyone have that? Well, we're not in offices, but there's certainly got to be a lot of burnout going on right now. Um, author of Paging Dr. LaPuma blog, which you can find on his website. Um, and he's working on a new book that's going to be coming out later this year called Ecomedicine. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, Ecomedicine and you know, the, the, the fueling ourselves with nature and the actual medicine of nature. Um, you can learn more about that and what John's doing at ecomedicine.org. So hello again, officially, now that I've introduced all your greatness. You're very kind, Sarah. Um, well, you're very good. I'm, uh, and I am looking on a book on eco-medicine, but no, it's not coming out quite yet or this year. We're still looking for the right partner to publish it. But it's a concept that I hope we'll talk about today because I think it can help a lot of people in finding the balance for how they live and how to help the planet as they live. And we will, we're, we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna work our way all the way through it. So first and foremost, I, I we made a, there's, a, there's this phrase, it's not in the insurance companies, no one can collect you know, copay for it, but nature deficit disorder. So can you define what that means? I'm sure that everybody's going to go, well, yeah, kind of, you know, obviously, but there's really, there's a serious aspect to it. You know, Richard Louvre, who's a journalist and a leader in, in uh, nature therapy, defined this in 2005 in his book, Last Child in the Woods, um, for children as a social problem um, with so little nature that they develop social and interpersonal problems. But I think so little nature can result in medical problems too. So I think nature deficit disorder is so little nature connection that it actually creates medical problems for you that also can be treated and even reversed with restoring that nature connection. So we, it's interesting you know, that you talk about the uh, medical problems for children like we know children have to be outside and playing, but that these are the, the other issues are social issues that children have as a result of not being outside. I understand not being with their kids, but what's the outside connection for it, John? Well, for a lot of people, it's because we have a native, a kind of a biophilic attraction to nature. And when we're not outside, a lot of bad things happen. We um, tend to stay inside and become addicted to screens, which many of us are, we tend to lose the kind of uh, perspective that we get when we feel like we're part of something bigger. And we uh, kind of, our worlds get smaller. We don't remember that there's something much bigger outside of our apartment walls. Um, and that can result in not just depression and anxiety, but increased risks of diabetes and heart disease and um, and visual disturbances. And so it, it's become kind of a under-noticed cause of what has been ongoing so much during the pandemic. And actually the pandemic, as you know, has made it worse. The 
global warming, the pandemic have showed us that our personal medical health, how we feel often these days, anxious and depressed and, um, and in need of care and how our personal health and the health of the planet are actually two sides of the same coin. Um, many people haven't thought of it quite that way, but I think that's what makes the most sense. So it's interesting. Do you have, I think there's, there's the part of it that's like, duh, nature's good for you, right? And yet we, we kind of accept living inside. I mean, can you give a few stats? Uh, you know, you and I talked the other day, 93% of retirees spend their time, 93% of a retiree's time is spent inside, which is on the one hand, not surprising. And on the other hand, a shocking amount when you think about, you know, what we're doing and how we're spending our time. So could you give a little bit like the, like the trends of what's happened 20 years ago, 50 years ago, what were we doing? How are we spending our time yeah. now? Well, then, thanks sure. to well, then, the screens we're sitting in front of. And Right. Well, when the country started, only 5% of us lived in cities and now 80% of us live in cities. And as we have gone and moved kind of as a huge human migration to cities, we have kind of farmed out quite literally the greenery and the water from what used to be nature, a nature setting outside of the city. And in fact, as you know, in, in, uh, in urban planning, there's a movement to infill housing to try to pack housing as densely as you can because um, it's a more efficient use of space. But I think that doesn't take into account um, public health, where it's been clearly shown in many population studies that having greater tree canopies and more shade and more greenery and, and water elements uh, dramatically changes the health of populations as well as uh, violent crime and uh, other sorts of crime as well. So um, that 93% breaks down by the way into 86% in buildings and 7% in cars. And that, those are pre-pandemic uh, numbers. So right. now it's gotta be you know, even higher. Now it's gotta be crazy. And, and for people yeah. who are not retired, um, well over 90% of our time is spent uh, inside. And that's a really scary statistic. Uh, for kids, you mentioned kids, um, kids only spend about 13 minutes a day on vigorous outdoor activity, as opposed to about 10 and a half hours remaining inside and not playing. Um, you, you know, like this data or something like between four and seven minutes outdoors for every seven to eight hours on electronics. That's so funny. Um, and even we're in recent years, I mean, again, pre-pandemic, there were um, a lot of schools that were cutting recess time right. because they were insisting on all sorts of other, you know, super academic or multilingual things or whatever other stuff they wanted to do. And yeah. they were totally, I mean, between the nature aspect of it, the movement aspect of it for kids. And sure. how much also, John, you're talking about urban issues is just personal space. You know, where offices have shrunk the amount of space where people, right. the, the benching and, and cubes and stuff versus the need, like is space part of this that we all need a little bit of space around us? We do, but you know, you can get a lot of nature inside of, of even a 300 square foot apartment. I, mm -hmm. um, and you can experience the joy of, of running water, which is a sound that is almost universally enjoyed, even in a shower. I mean, there are a lot of things on a spectrum of enjoyment of nature and connection to nature that um, not only don't exclude people who don't have 
access to the back 40, which you don't need, of course, mm -hmm. or to a farm like the one I will live on. But you need just the, the presence of greenery and the presence of those sounds and the possibility of touching, uh, using your senses with them. That's kind of the secret to nature. You get to use your senses with it. And you know that means you see it, you hear it, you touch it, you smell it, and you even taste it, especially high anti-inflammatory foods, which we'll talk about as well. And those, so, if you cue in on your senses, you automatically experience a different side of your brain and it gives the rest of your brain a rest so that you can um, use the, that experience to, to lower your stress level and lower your blood pressure and lower your pulse. And there are very specific ways and, and locations to do that with. So it's really interesting, again, um, you know, there's kind of like the duh, nature's good for you, but, and there's obviously the huge climate movement. And I always think about that as a, like most of what I hear on that is cranial. And we mm -hmm. want to reduce our carbon emissions. We want to be able to, right. you know, but this is a whole other aspect of it, which is actually, I don't hear a lot of the climate movement talking about the living it and the connection and the health benefits and the, the gestalt of nature and us as, you know, as carbon beings, as part of that yeah. and the continuation of it. Um, yeah, a lot of people think that, you know, you have to go out to be part of nature. You really already are a part of nature. We're all mm -hmm. animals and we're, as such, we're part of nature. Um, you, the climate change folks, I think have not yet had really good marketing people help them to try to understand how to communicate um, the benefits of, of living clean and, and the very simple things you can do to actually have an effect. A lot of people feel like climate change is so huge, how am, am I gonna affect it? Um, and the answer is, it, you know, a simple answer is don't waste food, um, go outdoors and grow something. Yeah, I mean, wasting food, most, of, most food waste comes from household food waste. It ends up in landfills, which produces bad gases. And it's because people don't know what to do with the food that they have or how to cook it or prepare it. Um, and we tend to overbuy over-processed foods. So not wasting foods is actually a big, all along that chain of how those foods got to you if you didn't grow it, uh, then changes that chain so that there are fewer carbon emissions along the way. Grow something yourself, I'm a big fan of. I think gardening is self-care and wellness um, and can bring to you not just purpose, but also beauty and food, of course, as well as reduce your produce costs. And going outside and cycling through your senses, which I mentioned before, yeah, uh, for just five minutes, resets your cortisol level and allows you to engage your parasympathetic nervous system and not pay attention to notifications all the time. Those three things actually yeah. can make a big dent in personal influence of climate change. Yeah, and I, I will cycle back to some of the things that people can do to increase their, or to, to offset their nature deficit. Um, let's talk, so I'm gonna quote something. We did an article with you recently and I'm gonna quote you from our article, um, which I think gives a really important perspective. You mentioned a number of the, the health implications of the, I'll call it starving for nature, but I'm going to quote it. Nature can be your medicine here too. Here are some medical conditions that spending time in nature has been shown to improve acute, 
I, sh I should be able to type better and read better. Start thinking. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, here are some medical conditions that spending time in nature has been shown to improve. Acute urinary tract infections, anxiety disorder, ADHD, cancer, cardiovascular disease, depression, diabetes, surgical healing, musculoskeletal complaints and aches and pains, migraines, upper respiratory tract infections, and vertigo. I mean, across the board, everything. Now, it's easy to say nature can calm my anxiety or my depression. That makes sense. It's easy to say, you know, for years, they, you know, years ago, they would send the city kids out to the country to help their, their asthma and their breathing and all of that. Urinary tract infections? You know, it's really striking. There are about 2,500 papers in the medical literature about nature and its effect on mental and physical health. Um, and the kinds of, and, and the evidence ranges from case studies to population studies, as well as randomized double-blind controlled studies. A UTI, that data comes from um, 300, a study of 345,000 patients in the Netherlands um, of 190 physicians who completed assessments of their patients um, in medical problems um, from their zip code. That is, everybody who have lived within a kilometer, um, five-eighths of a mile of uh, greenness with a dense green canopy nearby, trees around your house, and within half a mile, a little over half a mile, um, were assessed for a, what medical status they had and medical problems, and acute urinary tract infection um, fell out as one of the the problems that people had less when they lived closer to greater greenery. Now, you know, why would that be? Why would, you know, acute UTI be less prevalent among people who have more greenery mm -hmm. around them? When you factor out- studies. So it wasn't causative. It was no, that there was an no, association. No, it's associative. Living it's associative. Near, near more trees and a lower incidence of- Right, but the same actually has been shown for antidepressant mm -hmm. prescriptions right. um, through the UK. Uh, yeah. NHS in very persuasive manner. Um, uh, so much so that um, that gardening allotments are actually part of the national health system in mm -hmm. ways that are meaningful. Um, and there's competition for them. Um, there's a lot of population-based health studies showing that dense green canopy can change the way that your body works. I have a friend in uh, Louisville, Aruni Botnagar, who's a professor of cardiology there, who persuaded um, um, the NIH, among others, to fund a $14 million project over the next five years, now the next four years, uh, in Southwest Louisville, where he has imported hundreds of 30-foot canopy trees to plant in the poorest parts of Louisville, so mm -hmm. that he can change the, the physical environment and see whether cholesterol goes down, triglycerides go down, blood pressures go down, hospitalizations for, um, for atherosclerotic and vascular problems, heart disease and stroke go down, whether it changes medication and, and office use. And there's a lot of data to suggest, including an early pilot study, that that actually will happen. That by providing shade, uh, reducing heat, um, providing a connection to the senses that I just mentioned, that 
it acts not just as a wellness intervention and as part of providing some motivation and routine in self-care where people go for walks deliberately now because there's something beautiful instead of something desolate. Um, it actually might be as powerful, Aruni thinks, as statins in preventing heart disease. Wow. And, and actually he's a spokesperson for the American College of Cardiology. Although I don't know if he said that in that capacity, I know he believes it. You so, fascinating to it, me? Yeah. Hmm. These are all, it's really passive. I mean, usually when you say, how do you offset it? And we're gonna talk about some specific things that people can do yeah. proactively and really specifically. But what this is actually a really passive impact. I mean, I know everybody, everybody knows I love being in Colorado. I love being in the mountains in the space and that that's kind of my happy place. I've written about it, having that kind of grounds me. Yeah. Um, but that's a conscious effort that I do. But what you're talking about here is just a total passive, probably people don't even realize it. Like, are they even conscious of their lack of greenery or when they put the trees in, are they even conscious of that something changed, you know, in the set, you know what I mean? Like, I just mm -hmm. think that's really exciting to have mm -hmm. that big of a health benefit in a very passive way. You don't, it's not like you have to exercise 30 minutes a day or you have to, you know, stop eating your ice cream. This is just a very easy, passive accessible concept that has huge yeah. health implications. Thank you. I think, you know, it's a lot easier to change your environment than it is to change your mind. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a way to, and, and this is true as, as you just alluded to, for dieting as well. When you wanna lose weight or if you want to have, achieve a medical goal with food, um, you can like plan out your meals and put them in Tupperware containers and stick to a regimen and, and feel good because you're improving in whatever way you are, often weight loss. But unless you make it part of your routine where it has both purpose and meaning and, and it's fun, it's often something that you kind of slide back with. But if you prepare everything around you to support that decision, it's not just a cognitive decision, it's an environmental one, then you can make, it, it becomes part again of self-care and of wellness and of being able to, get up in the morning and know who you are and where you're going, having purpose. Yeah. Um, and for Colorado, you know, spending time in nature reduces your brain's fatigue and stress. It reduces activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is the center for rumination or obsessing about things. And this has been demonstrated in MRI studies at Stanford and elsewhere now that show that um, walking in a meadow or in a forest is dramatically different than walking down a street, even a really nice street with trees in it. Um, because it it changes the way that the brain works. Well, and how how important is the quiet in that? You know, you walk down a lovely street in New York City, and there's still a cacophony of, you know, noises and sirens. You're talking about, you know, hearing and you know the different senses versus the <laughs> the sound of silence, right? Right. I, I think there is something beautiful to silence. I also actually. You know, I'm, I lived in Chicago a long time. I loved Chicago. I love the urban sounds. You get used to it after a while, you kind of go with it. But I think you, when you get outside Chicago in the Northwestern suburbs or in the Northern suburbs or even the Western suburbs, you get to a place where all of a sudden you're in a completely different environment and you feel rested. And I think that's what nature does for people. It kind of allows them to feel differently, um, even differently than they can imagine. The data that we talked about before for kids um, and free play is very important. In Singapore, they have a public health campaign where 
it's they don't want them to stay in the city. It's important to have free play outside for two hours a day with their parents because they want to reverse the myopia that mm -hmm. is epidemic in Asia and is actually becoming epidemic in the United States. And, mm -hmm. you know, myopia, you think, well, you just wear glasses or take eye drops, but that's not, you know, 4% of myopia actually causes blindness. Um, it's called high myopia and it's, it's more common than you think. And kids also have lower levels of asthma, as you said, lower levels of blood pressure and less insulin resistance when they live in greener areas. So you can, you can create that for your kids and for your family if you, if you're deliberate about it, if you have purpose about it. And I think more people will. Yeah, and I'm gonna ask an obvious question which we've kind of already answered, which is how important is it for healthy child development to have them outside in nature and away from the screens and the freedom and the smells? I always joke that I grew up in the malls of New Jersey and <laughs> nature is kind of an acquired trait for me, an acquired thing. And I love it. And I found it, but I've never been as comfortable in it naturally as yeah. my husband who grew up in Colorado and yeah. grew up in the mountains. And that was part of him and our daughters. We've also raised far more in nature than I was. And they are all so comfortable in it. I remember going hiking with my daughter. She, they got to a camp that was very outdoorsy and I'd never hiked with Ben on the trail with her. And we went hiking before we brought her to camp and her whole body literally changed yeah. the minute she set foot on the trail. It was yeah. remarkable, remarkable I, for me. So I, I find it remarkable too. And I think um, kids are especially influenced by nature. It is something, I mean, it's not as if, it's like other things in that you can learn it as you get older, but if you get it when you're young, it's like riding a bicycle. You have a memory of it. We have a, um, a new quiz called, what's your comfort nature, which is, what's your place in nature that acts like a comfort food? Like people have a comfort food. They know that when they eat Doritos or a specific chocolate ice cream, they feel at, relaxed or they feel sated or they feel loved or hugged. You know, is there a place in nature like that for you? Often people recall a place from childhood, um, but we created a quiz that we're gonna launch later this month to help people identify it because sometimes it's too remote and people don't quite get it. But when they do get it, you can bring it to your mind even if you can't bring the, go there physically and cycle through your senses in the way that I described. And, and it does bring you peace even away from it. Um, kids, kids are powerfully affected by nature and, and kids with ADHD, you know, nature therapy is kind of a treatment. Um, there's uh, kids with ADHD concentrate better after a walk in the park than after a downtown walk or a neighborhood walk. Um, and, and these are substantial and, and actually it works as well as some formulations of Ritalin. Wow. Um, and, and this is recent data um, published uh, in a peer reviewed journal from SAGE. And how um, important is nature for longevity? I noticed that I think you know, the five top blue zones, I was just quickly looking last night, are all kind of tropical or subtropical. They're all kind of outdoor kind of places, beautiful weather, warm weather, not right. in areas. Yeah. Is, are there research and um, correlations between more nature and longevity? There are. I mean, that you mentioned the Blue Zones at Stan Buettner's uh, brilliant concept where he now has four New York Times bestselling books about them, which I recommend, along with our own real age books about longevity. I mean, his 
his other principles, he has a power nine principles that he's derived from studying these five blue zone areas, which have both maximum or optimum uh, longevity and quality of life. His other three of them move naturally. You know, people in Sardinia and Costa Rica and Icaria don't go to health clubs. They garden. Right. They go to each other's house. They walk to the to the forest or the beach or to the store. They don't call they Uber. Don't drive, right. They don't call Uber. <laughs> no Uber. Maybe in Loma Linda they call Uber. But but out of the four out of the five, uh, I don't think they call Uber. I mean, and they eat whole anti-inflammatory foods that are often gathered and that they make teas or they often drink herbal teas all day long. And, and the herbal teas that they drink are not like, you know, you get from celestial seasonings or somebody, it, they're wild herbs that are picked, which often have um, uh, insulin sensitizing properties or uh, uh, anti-lipid properties that are subtle because it's an herb and not a medication or a pharmaceutical, yeah. but nevertheless are bioactive. And because they're, they're weeds, often we would think of them as weeds, they've had to develop really strong protective mechanisms from predators that would otherwise eat them or chew on them or others. And you actually get those protective mechanisms and when you yourself gather them and, and make a tea of them. And then finally, his third principle that I think um, it answers your question is social interaction. A big benefit of nature is actually running into other people who are doing the same thing, mm -hmm. like gardening or like water activities or water sports or hiking. Um, you run into other people when you walk your dog. And so the, the dogs play, you're not playing quite as much as the dog is playing because the dog likes to play and you like to talk to the other people sometimes. And that, and you can't do that when you're inside. So. Yeah. So these three things, power, three of his nine power principles important in longevity also are, don't come up without nature. They're move naturally, eat whole anti-inflammatory foods and socialize when you go outside. And those things are powerful because you want to live not just longer, but better at higher quality levels yep. with greater well-being. And, um, and I think that's, I know Dan believes that. And I know that's what the blue zone concept is. Right. So now I think, again, I keep talking about, I keep going back and forth because it's kind of obvious to say, go hike hiking. It feels good and, it, and it's natural and it's healing and all that sort of stuff, like, kind of duh. Um, but I think it's so striking that one of those early studies about the gallbladder surgery, you know, that this is not about, you have to go to the mountains or you have to go to Sardinia. Right. That I think that's a really powerful demonstration of, of the impact of and, and places where people will talk next about how people can bring nature to their lives. So but talk about that study. Um, you're referring to Roger Ulrich's study published in 1984 in Science Magazine in which he studied people who had had cholecystectomies or gallbladders out in a hospital in Pennsylvania. And in 1984, you had to go to the hospital to get your gallbladder out. You couldn't do it as an outpatient or through a flexible uh, scope. And you were there for and a week. You were there for a week. Out of work right. for a week. That's exactly you were there for a month. I what? was out of work for a month. I had my I had this, people have known like I, I I didn't used to be this healthy being, and I had my gallbladder out. I was twenty three years old. Wow. Yeah. And well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you you're healthy now, and that's quite a good for you for surviving that hospitalization. It kicked my butt, but I was in the hospital for a week and home for a month, and now it's outpatient surgery. It's really phenomenal. Nonetheless, yeah, it is phenomenal. 
Yes. Well, at that time, you know, because you were there, they you stayed in the hospital for a week. And so what he did was find people like you on either side of a hospital ward that it's on two sides of the, the ward so that one side had a view of trees out a window and one side had a true view of a brick wall, mm -hmm. really literally out a window and, and fouled them um, in their course um, over three years uh, reviewing records from that time. So there's a retrospective study, interestingly, and it's been cited over 5,000 times, which is really interesting because they tell you in scientific research, try not to do retrospective studies because they, you don't learn as much. But mm -hmm. in this case, it influenced hospital design, it influenced the way that um, uh, nature is thought of in hospitals mm -hmm. because the people who had the view of trees had less opiate medication, stayed in the hospital 0.8 days less, uh, had a better hospital experience. The nurses thought they had a better hospital experience and uh, had less pain overall than the people who were, had the view of the brick wall. Um, you know, hospitals are kind of the original places for therapeutic gardens. Hospital gardens have been around for millennia and um, they used to just supply medication to the formulary for patients in the hospital. And then the ones that survived became places of solace and, and retreat and restoration, primarily for the staff who are really stressed in hospitals. Um, and not enough hospital gardens still exist. I collaborated with NBBJ, the great architectural firm on designing one for Loma Linda, which I don't think yet has been uh, green-lighted. But the idea was to create gardens that were cardiovascular and pediatric and uh, immune gardens that contained those plants that were good for treating those diseases in which kids could also play and which staff and where staff could also relax. And, um, and plants have a powerful therapeutic effect in the hospital, but are underutilized because um, people, uh, hospital administrators primarily are afraid of infection, but they actually have a, a therapeutic value that extends well beyond the kind of remote possibility of bringing in a bug. Maybe you don't wanna bring them in with somebody who has a white count of zero or low white counts, but, and, and it's already severely immune compromised. But under, it's been really clearly demonstrated, including our own study of do, using VR with nature, that is virtual reality with nature, where you look at the sky and you look at the beach and then you swim with the fish when you're getting a flu shot. We did this as a randomized control study with kids who were getting flu shots. And we found that their fear, their pain, and their anxiety about having a flu shot were cut in half. Their parents, who we gave questionnaires to as well, thought the same thing or even more so. Mm -hmm. And the staff loved it and made clinic go faster. And now it's actually changed practice in our community where everybody, every kid is offered a VR of virtual reality of nature um, swimming under the sea before they get a shot. Have they tested to see the impact on the antibodies and the reaction to the shot afterward? Are they more receptive in the immune system? More That's responsive? a great question. I don't, I don't think so, but I, you know, we'd love to have the funding to do that. <laughs> Put it on your list. Okay. All right. So let's talk about some of these things. I mean, I just think that's so amazing. And I know that they did redesign, changed, as you mentioned, the architecture of hospitals so that people can see out. And honestly, I was in a New York City hospital and I was on the inside. I looked at nothing but institution green the whole time. And it hurt. Yeah, I can see. Uh, but there's been more and more progress. I think that has to be 
And architects especially are really mindful of that. They want to bring the outside in. And actually people can do that as well in your own apartment or in your own house. Then greening the walls of your house, greening the paint and the carpet and the, and the air. A lot of people don't know that indoor air quality is not as good, generally speaking, as outdoor air quality. And, and indoor air pollutants are actually, you know, like up to five times greater than what you'd encounter indoors. And since we spend so much time indoors, the risk of illness increases. So we want really to bring the outside in and whenever we can go outside as well. All right. So let's start with how people can, I mean, I think, well, I mean, I'll call it, it's easy and obvious to tell people to get off the screens and get out. And I don't know if there's a prescription for how long people should be outside. I think kids, kids are supposed to be out, I'll call it hours a day. Um, two. Two, two hours a day right. to, re to reverse or slow myopia. Um, and, you know, th this is true, actually, even my myopia corrected as well. And it might be because I've been working so much on the outside on the farm, or it might be because my diet is pretty anti-inflammatory, but whatever it is, I don't have to wear glasses to drive anymore. And, and it, that's just lucky probably, but it also might be that I actually practice what I preach. Right. Um, so the, let's talk about how people can bring nature into themselves. Although again, we're gonna talk about this, but get out. <laughs> well, I, I think the easiest way is with houseplants. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there was a great segment on uh, uh, Access Daily yesterday with uh, Mario Lopez and Maria Feya, who's a houseplant uh, doyen in New York City who um, design, described uh, design, plant parents as either design focused or nurture focused and suggested snake plants and monsterosa plants for each and taught uh, Mario that he actually has more potential as a plant parent than he thought, whereby he thinks he really only likes plastic plants. And, and you know, plastic plants have a place, they're kind of a threshold drug. Well, I was but, gonna ask you if a plastic plant, because if virtual, if virtual reality is working. Absolutely. Can I think it's plants a, and plastic plants work? Because honestly, I have a brown thumb and I always joke that if there's a plant in my house, it's my husband's responsibility. If there's a plant outside, I'm on God. Put, God, God didn't create house plants; they created outside plants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder what God would say about that. But I, I, I think that having house plants is a really easy way. I can't believe the lines at the Santa Barbara Farmers Market on Saturday for Chris of Santa Ynez Gardens, who runs a um, a house plant stand that uh, mm -hmm. plants that need very little care that are potted. And I think it's a great way to start. You know, houseplants need, depending on their size, a few ice cubes of water every other week. And most of them do not need a lot of fertilizer. They just need a little attention, which really means just paying attention to them. We gave houseplants in our burnout program, a burnout reversal program to office workers as ways to take care of them. And some people loved it. Some people didn't love it because they thought they were, they were worried that they weren't nourished enough, but just having something green to look at, to touch, to smell if it's fragrant, mm -hmm. to, um, uh, uh, some people listen to their plants, other people name their plants. We ask people to name plants in our burnout prevention study because you form a bond with it and you remember that you're part of something greater. Well, it's funny actually, I think we've reported on studies where um, seniors living alone, people living alone, even if it's a houseplant, something, be a pet, a houseplant, a goldfish, anything to care for increases their longevity. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the Aquarian doctor's offices are there not just for, for beauty, but because they actually lower blood pressure. Mm -hmm. um, getting your hands in the soil exposes you to a, a mycobacteria called Mycobacteria vaxi, which has been shown to increase serotonin levels in the brain and improve your microbiome as you do. So there are, and that bacteria is well known. It's increasingly studied in animals. Um, there are some uh, human studies in progress. And a lot of people identify with the idea that having your hands in the dirt feels good. For other people, it feels awful that there are bugs and literally trillions of bacteria in every tablespoon. And that seems like too much. But but for it, it's gradual. I think if you have a houseplant, you develop a relationship with it, you don't kill it, you begin to wonder, okay, I can do this. Is there something else I can do? And and that's when, you know, a year later you're buying plants on Amazon at 1230 at night. <laughs> and how about things as simple as like literally opening the window, fresh air, because as you said, there's a lot of toxins inside, so many things gassing off plastics and and whatever's um, so important. I keep the windows open whenever we can. Of course, you can't always, if it's snowing outside, it's too hard to keep the windows open for most people. Um, but I, I like having fresh air in the house. That's an important part of ventilation, particularly that you know, if you have windows that open up and down, the top part of it is the best part to keep open. Yeah. Um, when you talk about, you know, you're talking about the multi-sensory, um, smell, hearing, um, you talk about essential oils, you talked about apps that have nature noises. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, I like YouTube as an app for nature noises. I, I, you can find almost anything mm -hmm. and, um, and cycle and cycle through it. Uh, and including, including channels just for sleep, in, uh, for relaxation, for, um, uh, the, for specific locations. There's, one, there's another app called uh, Atmosphere that has eight different environments like beach or city or park or countryside or underwater. And, and um, those sounds you can experiment with and find how they make you feel. There's a whole nother part of uh, eco-medicine which is about called soundscapes, where people use walls of sound and particular types of sound for specific kinds of healing, which is fascinating stuff um, that I don't know a lot about, but I want to learn more about. But you will, uh, and it will be in your book. Yeah, probably will. <laughs> Hope so. Um, and is it like with the sounds or with the smells, is it, I'll call it all good and whatever smell makes me feel good or whatever sound, you know, some people like you talked about the ocean before, but if I like the tropical rainforest or somebody else likes, you know, wind blowing, um, is it whatever strikes your fancy that, that touches you? In a general sense, yes. In a specific sense, no. The specifics are more that, um, you know, plants give off chemicals called phytoncides where which are called anti uh, they're antimicrobial volatile organic compounds. Mm -hmm. um, and they use the, those scents to communicate with other plants. Mm -hmm. um, and they increase those compounds that are aromatic when they're threatened or when so, uh, someone is crunching on them or they're not getting enough moisture or nutrient. Plants are responsive to their environment, both in the soil and in the air. But those phytoncides are not just for communication between plants. 
They also have human effects. They reduce blood pressure. They change autonomic activity, the fight and flight response that you have. Mm -hmm. And they actually change your immune system. You mentioned this at the top of the hour that the immune system is responsive to, um, to particular fight sides. The best data come from Japanese Cyprus studies where, uh, and in Japan, Shinrin-yoku, which is the 1982 term coined by Dr. Lee for forest bathing um, was identified. And he did most of his studies in Japanese Cyprus um, groves mm -hmm. where specific phytoncides, these aromatic pine smelling chemicals emitted by trees improve natural killer cell concentration, improve immune function, balance immune function uh, in both men and women after a couple of hour walk in a forest at no speed whatsoever, a quarter mile in two hours. And, um, and that effect of increased natural killer cells lasts for a month thereafter. Um, and this data is not disputed at all, but there's some question about whether it's just specific to the Japanese cypress or if, it's, if other trees can produce the same effect. Uh, lavender actually you know, works in a specific part of the hippocampus in the brain to cause relaxation. Um, and each of the aromatherapy chemicals that come from plants do the same. They work in a specific part of the brain. So to achieve different sensual effects, different wellness effects, if you will. Um, I think different aromatic um, BOCs, different phytoncides are needed. Right. But if you're just trying to, to feel better, I mean, I like vanilla and cinnamon, even though cinnamon's spicy and kind of ramps you up a little bit and vanilla is relaxing. Um, but the, the idea is that there's a whole science behind this that's actually unexplored and um, not taken seriously by most of allopathic medicine, but I think deserves uh, deserves better a better shake. Yes, I know traditional medicine, natural medicine actually is big on that. And you know, I was just again trying to get people to at least understand like a little. Just you, you're touching nature. There's so many ways and possibilities sure. to touch nature. So talk about forest bathing for a second, because these are so you know in some and what we've talked about now a lot of these things whether you're rural, suburban, or urban, these are things, ways if you're urban and, and a little bit landlocked or dry locked um, yeah, that yeah. you can bring nature in um, to your everyday life. Um, but talk about forest bathing because there's it's a very big thing for you. I know you're, you're a big fan of it and there's a lot that's out there. I am a fan because it's so harmless and so powerful. Um, you do need a forest. Um, How big a forest do I need? Can it be? I think it can be. It can block? be any forest because there's, it's th these parts have been done. These studies have been done in in all kinds of forests, where you find, where uh, other markers of inflammation have been lowered um, in interleukin six and tumor necrosis factor, um, by simply spending a couple of hours in a forest and cycling through your senses, in the way that I mentioned. That is, you know, your, your eyes and your ears and your smells and even tasting a tea that you might brew. And, and there are forest bathing not, guides. Go ahead. Hmm? I said forest bathing is not hiking. No. Hiking is cool too. Forest but, during hiking, but this is a very kind of, it's almost it's meditative. A, it's a walk in the forest that's slow and contemplative mm -hmm. where you have time to think about, you feel really your surroundings, not think about them and use the parasympathetic 
part of your brain where you're tuned into how you your senses instead of ticking off notifications about what you ought to be able to do next and making lists and stuff. What you're doing is sitting or simply being in a forest or walking so that you can immerse yourself in nature and, and change your hormone levels. Including so can I forest bathe in Central Park? Sure. Can I forest bathe in the dunes at a beach? Um, no, because I didn't think they have a forest. I wasn't sure it was nature, you know, like, was it, is it the forest or the pines or was it, you know, again, is it, is it the process of slowing down and I'll call it almost meditating in nature, yeah. versus, you know, where beach has different sensory experiences than the forest. It's certainly a meditative type of walk, but I think the forest adds an aspect to it that the beach doesn't have. Mm -hmm. Although the, the sounds of water, as I alluded to at the top of the hour, um, are themselves universally appreciated. And, and actually there's been a lot done with uh, water and rehabilitation and post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, particularly for veterans returning from water, war who have had PTSD and up to 30% do. Um, um, but that isn't, that requires, you know, a body of water and movement of the water. Um, Can I forest bathe on YouTube on my big screen TV? Mm -mm, no, but you can you can achieve you can achieve even viewing nature posters and the same thing about viewing nature on a screen um, does change hormone levels. It does induce the relaxation. Um, when I have people do this, I uh, ask them to turn their device to airplane mode, not off, just to airplane mode, because what you're doing is you're trying to get yourself out of the react and respond mode and just feel or see what's in front of you. Um, the, the mantra of be here now mm -hmm. is applies to looking just at a nature poster as well. And it's, I don't know why nature posters aren't in every medical office in America. They have a, a calming effect that reduces blood pressure and pulse in several different studies. They're very inexpensive. And, um, and, and everybody likes them. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do it? So one great thing I think about the pandemic has been that it seems there's been a trend, like on the one hand, we've been inside a lot more, but on the other hand, we've actually been outside a lot more. You couldn't get a bicycle to save your life over the summer. You can't buy cross-country skis to save your life. I mean, that people have really gone outside, which has been great. RVs, hiking, camping, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You think it's gonna stick when the country opens up? I do. I mean, I think the same has been true in gardening and in nurseries. Yeah. That they're, you know, they've had to add lots of staff, at least mm -hmm. here. Um, people have the seed catalogs are um, are actually out of things this early. Right. Which is amazing. Uh, you go into a nursery and anything that is um, either very low care, like succulents or snake plants or monsterosa, uh, or is fruit or vegetable bearing is already getting snapped up. Those are the things that are going first. Right. And in a way it's great. I mean, those guys for years, maybe even decades have labored under only the, you know, people kind of looking at the edges and deciding whether to get a six pack of tomatoes to take home right. or for dedicated gardeners who have their catalogs out in October and are, are, have got their orders in by October 15th for really specialized varieties. And the reason I know that is because I myself um, have that disease. <laughs> but but it, it, I think that 
this is kind of a new awakening for America where people want to be more self-sufficient again. Mm -hmm. Know that they can't rely on the idiocy of having to dump milk in the streets and dump um, unused vegetables in the streets during the first parts of the pandemic. While we have people by food insecurity is at its highest level in decades now. That's just crazy. And I think people don't want to be caught in that dilemma anymore. Right. And so having your own garden, growing something yourself, knowing the people who grow things yourself, being able to um, get around yourself and not rely on transportation or on others that you might be exposed to disease with, um, being enjoying the outdoors because it's there is for some people who are already clued in as a natural, sure, I'm gonna do that way more. For, for the 50 million Americans, that's like, you know, a seventh of the population that are sedentary, are stuck inside their homes, are afraid to go outside often and don't, and feel like there might be something, you know, that will injure them. It, it's going to be, people are going to need something, need bridges to get to the idea that the outside actually can be healthier than the inside. Well, and just a reminder, I mean, people, you're not getting sick walking around the block. You're not getting sick in a breeze. People are getting sick when you're in enclosed places with a lot of people. Right. But being outside, you're not going to get sick. Step out of your doors. All right. Give me one quick minute on eco-medicine and what's going to, what your book's going to be. Um, eco-medicine is the medical field that encompasses what people do outside already. Um, but the practical application of it is that everybody can have a wellness practice of, of what I've just been talking about, self-reliant self-care, which helps them heal by finding and restoring their nature connection, whether that's gardening and houseplants or forest bathing or surf therapy. And when that activity pays attention to how they affect, how, when that activity is not just for them, but also is for the planet, how it affects the planet when they're outside. So, so eco-medicine takes into account how you can get well with nature and how you can help the planet get well with it as well, by being in it as well. And I think that's a new conception of it because it's one thing to say, okay, eat this, not that, or um, sleep eight hours and uh, get up refreshed it's, and exercise, 30 minutes a day at high intensity intervals, if you can do it. It's another thing to say, okay, I'm taking care of myself, but I also wanna take care of the planet, which has been very good to us, but we have extracted so much from it that it's suffering and it's in many ways dying. So we have to revive it by being outside, I think, by engaging with it and seeing what we might miss if we let it go and, and that we ourselves, might go with it. So I'm gonna describe ways that people can make this part of their self-care regimen and, um, and use wellness uh, with purpose, develop routines to keep themselves healthy in nature and, and find it beautiful and awesome, quite literally too. I love it. Well, and again, just a reminder to everybody, and then I'm gonna let you go. I mean, in high-tech world, everybody is thrilled to have the vaccine to go you know, fix the pandemic, but nature's sitting there these health benefits that you've talked about, the, the health challenges that are created by a deficiency in nature and the health benefits of simply going outside, looking at a tree, walking through a park, put, having a plant in your house. It's so easy and so accessible. 
And sometimes I think we forget, we think because it's so easy that we just disregard it and don't give it the respect that it's due, but it's so, you know, such a simple thing to do. Creating a routine really helps. Having a purposeful routine about having coffee with your plants instead of your phone, having coffee with, with um, your dog, your pet, instead right. of with your phone or your TV. And you that's, right. you know, five minutes in the morning where you're having coffee with nature. Should, and then you cycle through your senses. There's a headline, coffee yes. with your plants. <laughs> Why not? I love it. All right, Dr. John LaPuma, thank you so very much. His website, the website is ecomedicine.org. Um, you can see his blog. You can see some videos that he's been on. He's got so much to offer. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Everybody else, download the immune. Come to our, our, YouTube, our YouTube, see all the other videos, and come back next Thursday for a little talk about fear. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sarah. We're living in an unprecedented time when trust in our media and news sources are at an all-time low. It seems that everyone has an agenda, if not a political one, then a business one, as media companies are beholden to advertisers or shareholders. Well, not at bottom line. We're a family-owned business and have been free from the influence of advertising since our start nearly 50 years ago, focused solely on helping people live happier, more fulfilled lives. Our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, provides advice that can be put into action each day, helping people do better and feel better. Thousands of top, highly respected, truth-seeking experts have appeared in Bottom Line Personal on topics in all areas of life, including healthcare, financial planning, home improvement tips, great gift ideas, how to save money on travel, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of our experts' greatest tips of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.